Hello and welcome to the UTFM podcast. I am Sebastian Vrubel and I have a pleasure to be a host of today's episode. As most of the indexes got very stable in the first part of today's show, I am talking to two guests from Zeneta.com. Ilko, the data science director from Zeneta, will explain us how they aggregate the data to create the Zeneta shipping index and how it is possible to deliver this benchmark information on a daily basis. Our second guest from Zeneta, Michael Brown, will share some thoughts about the global capacity that is effectively removed from the market and we will discuss other factors that are impacting the current situation. In the second part of our show, I have a pleasure to welcome a very special person, Adam Niklewski, uh, the carbonization expert for North Europe from Detnorske Veritas. Adam will explain to us what exactly the e-methanol is. The e-methanol just got some publicity due to Merck adding first container vessels running on e-methanol to their order book. Adam will share the advantages, disadvantages, barriers and opportunities for this technology. It will be a very interesting discussion, so stay with us till the end. Hello and welcome to the uh, new episode of ETFM. We are talking about the calendar week 40 today. And I have two guests from Zeneta.com today. Michael, who you already know from a few episodes. And today, uh, Ilko is joining us on the episode to talk a little bit more about the data science. So, hello, guys. Hi. Hi, Sebastian. Uh, Ilko, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, because uh, data science itself, it might be too obvious for, for some of, the, of our audience. So, maybe you could uh, say, you know, introduce what, what's your role within Zeneta, what are your challenges and daily tasks and what you are taking care of. All right. Well, uh, as a director of data science, our role as such in Zeneta is to find trends and inconsistencies in our data. If we spot anything alerting in the market and it, or any uh, divergences across different trades, we do alert them to other teams in the business. We make sure that the quality of our data is crisp and clean so that everything that we report to, we are confident and we understand how the market dynamics work. And we are also uh, part of the data ingestion process. So we also observe if the data that we ingest is of the same quality that the data that we present. So all in all, uh, in the entire pipeline, we make sure that the data is clean and we spot trends and inconsistencies. Thanks for that. I, I'm pretty sure that most of our audience is uh, is watching several indexes like the you know, Shanghai index, like the FBX, like uh, like your XSI, and probably some of them are asking themselves a question of uh, why those indexes are moving slightly differently to each other. And I th- and I found Zeneta and and your solution very unique on the market because you are basing your index purely on your own data coming from from your customers. So maybe we can have a chat about it. So so the audience also understand what's so unique about uh, your approach to this topic and why uh, to make to help them understand you know what they can expect from the market when they observe your index how how, how is it put together i think uh, our data is the most unique thing we have in the business as such it is composed uh, of from from multiple uh, shippers, well, multiple hundreds of shippers, is also uh, being sourced from freight forwarders. We do make sure that the data is cleansed and validated, and all of the surcharges that we benchmark are identical, so that we do compare apples with apples and not uh, not being aware of what we compare it with. 
Do you have different approach to different trade lanes? Like, for example, the Trans-Pacific is, is consolidated from different uh, amount of, of the shippers to make it, you know, uh, this, uh, this clear and solid to represent the market in comparison to, to another trades like, I don't know, Africa, Export Africa or even the uh, Asia to Europe? On all of the major trades that we have in our and are also sharing with our customers, we have made sure that the depth on the, and the breadth of our data is, is sufficient to have a confidence representation of the real world market prices. We have enough data providers, uh, clients providing data there, and that data is based on uh, multiple shippers providing it. So the, again, the, the uniqueness of the data and its breadth and depth allow us to confidently represent the real world market price that uh, prices are negotiated and contracted on. And I, w I would like to add one thing here is uh, you've just mentioned it, that we are only displaying contracted rates, which we get from different sources. So uh, it's not offered prices. Uh, it's not list prices. It's really only the ones which have been uh, contracted and booked volume on. And in this context, as you said, as we are getting the uh, it from many, many different independent sources, so freight forwarders, which are actually competing with each other, shippers which work for different industries, um, we are not only getting the carriers rates from one source, but we get the very same carriers rates from many different independent sources, which are not linked with each other, meaning that that gives us also a very high confidence level in evaluating then an individual carrier strategy, because we would need to see it then on very different uh, sources in the very same way. Uh, and that, of course, also makes it very easy to spot outliers or to question incorrect things. Uh, if it's then not falling into the general market picture. Thanks for that, Michael. I, I, I found it very interesting that most of the indexes are published on the weekly basis and, and the XSI, even the public one that you have on your website is, is uh, changing on the daily basis, which probably generates, I don't know, more, more complex tasks to do around it. But that's, that's my imagination about it. But uh, w w what's your view on that? Is it like really... Uh, making more trouble when you, you do it every day because it definitely should be valuable for the customers, I guess. Well, one of the benefits of, of Zenet is that we provide almost real-time benchmarks, right? The moment we get the price, we make sure that the quality is very high so that that's probably the most significant time-consuming component on our end and the time that it takes to make sure that the benchmarks are comparable. And once that happens, right, there is... Uh, a, a small delay between getting that price to uh, to an index, right? Making sure all the validation steps are in place and they have been uh, correctly flagged. So, is is there uh, because in the in this public index is always two days a delay, so people they, they just can see from 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 a day like Friday for the data of from Wednesday, but uh, in in your more premium, it's like really today, here and now that this is what you're offering to the customers. Yes, on the platform, it is real time. The moment we ingest data, the, that moment is when the graphs are updated. Uh, on the index end, we have left ourselves sufficient time to collect the data from customers, collect sufficient amount of data to be very confident in those results that we're providing them with. Uh, it, it does take also time for our customers to provide us with data. So in a sense, we have made, uh, we have ensured that we have the quality checks in place to make sure that we are representing the real world market price that one would see when they are contracting their prices. That's unbelievable, honestly. It's unbelievable that you, can, you, you are in a position to do it like on the daily basis. It's like abstract for, for probably 
lot of people around in the industry which were in the industry very long time and and this factor of really benchmarking was missing for so many years and i know from patrick that we had a conversation in the very first episode of our podcast that that it was the motivation to actually launch the dizaneta.com and to build this software but it's unbelievable how far you got in from uh, from from that point uh, Michael, maybe we, we can talk about some things that were like really, uh, let's say, public this uh, this week. And I think it's uh, there. There are some numbers coming from the C intelligence, which are showing up that twelve and a half percent of global uh, capacity is just uh, tied up with all of the congestions. And and I have two two thoughts about it because for and and this is why we are let's say still uh, in this uh, very high price market, and and, and I have two two uh, thoughts about it. The first one is uh, that is unbelievable how big this number is because the Hanjin when it got bankrupt it was like three and a half percent of the capacity missing from from the single event of of Hanjin going out of the business. And now we are talking about the numbers which are four times bigger and not for a short time, a short period of time as Hanjin did. It's like already probably uh, at least two quarters that we are facing with, with those uh, capacity constraints. Uh, what's your thoughts about it? Well, uh, it displays the situation what we are currently uh, having and that also explains the high rate levels what we have and that also refers to the supply chain issues what we are now seeing already in the market and what we are definitely going to see further popping up uh, all across Christmas. So it, it has already arrived that the uh, topics which were previously only like secluded for the experts within the industry are now spreading all across the world that, uh, yeah, there are maybe some supply chain issues and Congested ports on the U.S. West Coast have definitely an impact, and also later on on the shopping business there. Um, so yeah, that's that's just the situation where we are in. Um, the 10 to 12 percent have already been obvious quite some time now, so uh, it's not the first time that I read these figures. Uh, but it it brings them in a nice comparison with the Hanjin to actually display a little bit. Okay, how big is the impact? Uh, it's of course not one to one comparable because point is also that uh, there is a significant bigger amount of additional capacity deployed today than it has been uh, at, at that time. Um, the charter market is, is really up on max, uh, which is of course also reflected here with the price levels, what you see at the moment when someone or even the shippers now try to charter ships themselves. That's all coming to the same, that we are definitely lacking uh, the capacities. but. But it's also not only the ships itself, it's more about the empty equipment. And that actually creates the, the largest issues because like a disruption is always a bit uncontrollable. So if you have a regular schedule and you are fully booked, but the regular schedules are working and it's reliable, then you can still plan ahead. The problem what we have at the moment is that you can't plan ahead properly because there is so much concession and so many delays everywhere. And that, of course, then really leads to the uh, disrupted supply chains because you are planning with a service and that service is then not going into place. Uh, you, uh, your boxes are not delivered or you wait for the empty equipment and that, of course, creates the distortion what we currently have. Yeah, the, the, according to Alpha Liner from last week, the Idle, Idle fleet has decreased. So actually, 
Uh, even though we are talking about all of the vessels being on the water for over the half of the year at least, it's even more. I mean, the, the, the idol has decreased, so it means that they are less non-active. Well, uh, there's a bit maintenance, so something has to be repaired. They can't run 24-7, 365 days a year. So, yeah. Most probably, yes. And, and, then, and there are also some deviations in this number because of the new vessels being... Uh, uh, watered, which are increasing, like on, on the really short-term basis. But, but we also see uh, in, in new players in, uh, joining the game, like TS lines for the Trans-Pacific. So, so there, there is a still big trend to increase the the additional capacity because the market is so lucrative that it's uh, it's attracting different players. Of course. We, we, we also observe new customers going on their own charters. Like, uh, I think the, the most uh, uh, public one last week was Coca-Cola going for the bulk shipments and, and trying to find out their own solution. But, uh, but I'm mainly curious about uh, the, you know, the early signs of where, where, where we are heading because uh, the, the number of vessels which were uh, ordered uh, has decreased last month. And at the same time, the charters are still on the super high level of, uh, of the daily prices. So uh, what's your point of that? Are we, are we going into the situation that only untying all of the congestions is, is uh, helping the market get back to more reasonable uh, situation or, or we are waiting for some other things to happen? Well, there, there's not much. It's a little bit like if you're stuck in the middle of a traffic jam, you can't really do that much about it. Um, but uh, there, there, it takes time until it dissolves, and it actually only goes down if, um, yeah, if you, uh, if if some customers are really starting to adjust their supply chains, and not new people are actually coming into the same uh, traffic jam in that sense. Uh, Meaning that, yeah, a new builds on the ship market, it's a little bit like building a new road. Uh, it takes time. It takes years until it comes into effect. Meaning that it's definitely actions the carriers have now taken, but it doesn't help to order a new road, a new a new ship every quarter. Um, especially because the today's bottlenecks are not anymore the available ship capacity, it's the port capacities. It's the hinterland capacity. So it doesn't actually help to put another uh, 500,000 TEU on the market. Um, it would just be parked in front of the ocean. So also at the moment, the 12% capacity, which are stuck, it's not like that we are lacking 12% of capacity in the market. We are lacking the infrastructure to simply push these 12% of capacity through, empty it again, and, and reuse it again. So in that sense, new buildings will not change anything about apart from the cost structure of the carriers, but it's definitely not bringing in any ease in the market. The, the, the real difficulty is, is the hinterland, uh, it's the port levels, uh, it's all of these things, that, but it's definitely not the lack of capacity in that sense. Um, so that's the first thing. Uh, and that's also, I think, the reason why new buildings will not solve that problem. So the only, re uh, the only way how it can be solved is that either the demand is going down, just because too many industries come to the point that shipping is not any more profitable. Uh, so you change your approach and you go to nearshoring or you simply lose the business. Or the alternative is, and that's kind of like the industry will never jump short and black swan events, is what we currently see happening in China now with the with the power supply issues. That if that, of course, has at a certain point an impact on the production levels, then the problem solves by that. Because, uh, yeah, if 5% if, if of the Chinese production is falling out, then you have 5% of less volume. 
which of course would solve an, an immediate point as well. So that's that's all the, the up and down what we are currently seeing, and it, it definitely is going to take some time. Um, and yeah, we will see. That's a super interesting point because we've been discussing so many times about the demand uh, changes and if the you know this, this demand behavior of uh, mostly American consumers is going to shift back to the old habits and and actually spend less on on the products because that was the why the peak was generated at first but we've never thought about anything that could decrease the uh, the supply of the products in, in such a country like China. So it's like really getting getting into the game out of nowhere because of the, some government rules so that they just restricted the, the power consumption. Exactly. And that's also the biggest thing at the moment to manage these things or also to foresee them. Because as you said, it's coming out of the blue. It, of course, might have, depending now on the extent, a significant impact on the future, but that's nothing you can calculate with. And this is also the reason why at the moment we probably see these demand peaks, because a lot of supply chains in the world, a lot of companies have changed their procurement approach from just-in-time and just-in-sequence and just low inventory levels to a kind of a just-in-case uh, organization, meaning that you have to be prepared that the worst is going to happen because like in the past, the worst probably happened once every 20 years. And now we have kind of completely uh, unbelievable, unforeseen events every six months. And that means the supply chains have to be adjusted on that. And that means you have to push up inventory levels. And that's exactly what we are seeing at the moment. And that explains uh, some so such a high demand. But that's, of course, a once effect. At the moment, when the inventory levels are better balanced out again, um, that will calm down. The question is just if it takes months or uh, yeah, maybe uh, years, but it's definitely not staying there forever. Yeah, the the customers were super active to you know to to create the inventory level back or to to increase the security uh, level. Uh, in different parts of the globe with, with different results, of course, because uh, U.S. stats are showing that uh, the inventory levels are still super low, like probably uh, still the lowest in history. So it's, it's making it more changeable. But, but coming back to the, uh, to the capacity, I want to ask you one question more. Because there is an MSC, which is buying all of those second-hand uh, vessels, like, you know, they are, they are the most active, building their fleet in the short term. While we, we've concluded already several times that it's, it's not at the moment a capacity in terms of the vessel capacities uh, challenge, but they're still doing it. What's the rationale for that? What do you think about it? Well, that is something which has always been there. Uh, the players in the industry, first thing is now they have made a lot of money. We, we, we don't yeah. know how much MSC uh, actually. probably yeah. hardly any profit <laughs> There's probably hardly any any profitable company uh, in like in the industry than than an ocean carrier. And now, of course, you try to take strategic decisions in the future. Some try to go into vertical integration and buy freight forwarders. Others now invest in ports and terminal. And apparently, MSC seems to have a different strategy. Um, but it's also like some want to invest in profitability, other want to divert the risk, other want to just simply gain market share. Um, yeah, there I think there are simply different strategies and different expectations out where the ocean freight market is going to land. Yeah, we have seen similar things in the airline business in the past. Um, 
Uh, and that's the same thing. Nobody knows where air travel is going to move in the future. So, yeah, and, and that, of course, opens up a lot of different strategic options. And I think, yeah, that's just what MSC is doing. And we will probably not see the positive or negative outcome of all of these things like down five days down the road. And then probably uh, the landscape is going to be changed again. There will be other like top three players and the one making higher profits and the other one lowers or even struggling. Uh, but which is the right approach? It's something which needs to be seen. It's just interesting to see that there are so widespread uh, developments and that not every company is actually acting in the same way. Yeah, that's that's also something fresh on the market. They they, they used to do almost all the same things for 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 decades, I would say. <laughs> well, that's the other way. MSC has become, let's say, the second largest, or like depending on the statistics, the largest ocean carrier in the world. And they have definitely always applied different strategies than most of the other established players in the industry, but that made them the number one or the number two. So I'm I'm very far away of of of, of questioning what they are doing. Um because they have been at least in the past very successful in doing it the other way let's say like yeah that. that's that, that's a that's a big mystery of of the whole industry you know the company which is private owned still that you don't have all of the statistics all of the financials about that uh, that uh, made completely different journey to the place they are because they grow they grown organically uh, where most of the players were just uh, growing by acquisitions it's uh, it's uh, it's super uh, big uh, in the yeah, mystery to everyone i guess and uh, and yeah, we will not find the answers for for most of our questions so guys thank you very much for today uh, thanks uh, thanks for, thanks michael we will sp uh, have a, a conversation again in the future i'm pretty sure of that but for today it's uh, it's uh, super valuable what you've already shared so have a great week and yeah and let's speak soon thank you so on today's episode of ETAFM, I have a pleasure to have a conversation with uh, Adam Niklewski, who's uh, the carbonization expert of, for North Europe at uh, Det Norske Veritas. Adam, welcome on today's episode. Uh, hello, nice to meet you, uh, Sebastian, and uh, welcome to all listeners. Adam, you, you are involved within the topic of decarbonization, the alternative fuels for quite a long time, and it's just recently got much bigger attention than it uh, used to have in in, uh, in last years, I would say. And the, the, the big thing which was going on was uh, Merskline going into uh, ordering the first vessels for the e-methanol. And uh, this is something fresh that we see on the market because uh, Till that day, most of them were LNG with other carriers, and the e-methanol sounds, sounds to be a fresh wave of, of, uh, uh, of the fuel that is going to bring the new ecology aspects into the game. But I'm super curious, and I'm pretty sure that uh, all of the listeners of the ETFM uh, are also curious about this specific thing. Is it a new thing or not? Could, could you maybe at the beginning uh, say something about yourself, about your journey to this side? So first the background, and then what's the e-methanol? Uh, okay, so uh, first I will refer uh, to, to what you said about the, the Maersk, uh, because I understand uh, it heated up a little bit, uh, uh, the topic of the methanol, uh, but actually it's not true. That, that is not the first, uh, uh, the first application of the methanol uh, as a fuel on um, board the ships. Uh, the first big... Uh, uh, let's say um, 
implementation was uh, was Stenaline, uh, which installed uh, uh, methanol uh, dual fuel uh, uh, propulsion on the Stena Germanica. That was the the, the, the first uh, vessel ever uh, known uh, run on the methanol in the Baltic um, Sea area. So so rather close, but I understand Maersk as uh, one of the biggest. Uh, uh, container ship owner, um, they uh, they have much higher uh, um, impact with the news because uh, it is uh, recognized as a, as a, as a uh, big player uh, showing showing methanol as a uh, fuel uh, for uh, for the fleet, uh, and then we have as well uh, the, the the company Waterfront uh, Shipping, which uh, already has, uh, to my knowledge, two vessels uh, uh, run on the on the methanol, and at least five more uh, 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 in their uh, order book. Uh, so uh, uh, definitely, Maersk uh, is. Uh, it's not the first one, uh, but uh, it might be, let's say, the game changer uh, on the situation as uh, such a big uh, owner uh, uh, research uh, possibilities in this uh, market. And uh, your uh, second question, and actually that's what we should uh, begin with, uh, is the question what actually uh, e-methanol is, because uh, um, if we are talking the historical application, we need to mention the, 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 the available, uh, availability of the methanol on the market. Uh, so uh, it is good to, to, to understand what uh, uh, is covered uh, under the definition E-methanol. Because uh, if we look from the uh, chemical composition uh, point of view, of course, this is the same, uh, um, uh, the same fuel. Uh, however, E means that the production process uh, is uh, much more green or, uh, let's say, uh, going uh, into the uh, zero emission uh, uh, pathway. Um, so, uh, starting with this uh, E methanol, so uh, we need to, uh, to, 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 to synthesize uh, methanol actually to uh, components. This is the uh, dioxide uh, carbon and this is the hydrogen. Uh, the hydrogen in that case, uh, that, may, uh, that will uh, make a difference uh, and uh, uh, attach this E uh, to the to, to the to to um, to the uh, to the methanol um, combining the e methanol uh, naming. So the hydrogen uh, uh, source has to be produced uh, with uh, with uh, the renewables. So it might be, uh, for example, uh, solar energy. It can be the uh, wind farm or, or the offshore wind farm. So uh, that's uh, particular component hydrogen uh, has to be uh, uh, delivered, uh, delivered, delivered and produced on the on the um, renewable uh, uh, basis. And regarding the oxide uh, carbon, uh, that uh, that one can be, of course. Uh, uh, be produced in a, in a different way. Uh, uh, what we could see on the market, uh, it can be reused uh, as as uh, 
waste from the uh, paper industry. So in that case, we use actually the plants, trees, uh, uh, greens. And from the other side, uh, if you have a chance to participate in my last uh, LNG uh, seminar in Gdynia, it can be actually uh, delivered from the carbon capture and, uh, and storage uh, um, technology uh, uh, pathway, so it can be, let's say, reused uh, as, a, as a waste from, uh, from burning the, 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 the fossil fuels or uh, uh, LNG. Uh, it, it, it may come uh, either from the uh, um, uh, uh, maritime cluster uh, and it can be also uh, come from the, let's say, uh, civil engineering uh, infrastructure uh, onshore. So uh, that is the, 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 the simple uh, uh, definition what what is e-methanol. So uh, just to remember, it is the way how we uh, deliver su substracts uh, for, uh, for the methanol uh, synthesis. And the methanol synthesis, uh, actually, it's uh, combining, uh, combining the uh, dioxide carbon and the uh, and uh, and uh, and the hyd hydrogen uh, with the use of the catalytic uh, catalytic um, in most cases uh, it's uh, copper based one and we need some pressure and temperature but the details I, I believe it's uh, not the the most important for uh, for the listeners but that is that it is the source the, the uh, common production uh, of the methanol nowadays uh, uh, is based uh, on the on the um, LNG or or, or, or methanol. It can be also used the biomethanol, uh, which is uh, not so much on the market so far. But this is the the, the uh, alternatives uh, we have. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. So actually, uh, producing the e-methanol can use uh, the carbon dioxide, which was already pro produced during the propulsion engines uh, of the LNG. So it's like combining both together is making probably this goal of, uh, of full decarbonization by 2030 or 2050, depending on the careers uh, possible. So is it the thing that it is going to be a kind of a, a composition of the fleet that is going to uh, decarbonize de each other, I would say? Um. Yes, in the in the let's say um, idealistic uh, point of uh, of view, yes, that will be a kind of a circle. So we will uh, reuse uh, the waste uh, uh, from uh, uh, from the from the uh, shipping transport uh, transportation. Uh, but of course, we need to remember that somewhere uh, uh, we will have some. Uh, uh, some uh, some energy will be lost, so it, it's not the full perpetuum mobile. We will have some lost, uh, uh, of course, in this uh, circle. Uh, and I believe, uh, uh, if I could have a chance uh, to show you this, uh, uh, because I have a nice uh, graph which presents all of uh, uh, energy uh, players uh, with the. Uh, LNG with the uh, uh, carbon capture, with the uh, hydrogen production, uh, with the methanol um, production faci facilities. Uh, I have a pretty nice graph, but this is not 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 much use uh, for the uh, uh, 
just uh, just 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 the uh, radio blog. Yeah, so, uh, we'll, we'll, but I can I can show we'll you on, on the site. We'll try to we'll try yeah. to link it in the description of the of the episode. So if somebody's interested, please look at it, and it's uh, it's pretty interesting. I'm super interested in that. Uh, but Adam, what, what are the main advantages of the e-methanol e when you think about it, comparing to other you know fuels that we already see on the market that maybe we don't see yet, but uh, there are somewhere upcoming. Uh, yeah. So uh, uh, actually, the advantages uh, is the same as for the methanol or e-methanol. As I try to describe, uh, the differences is uh, only. Uh, uh, on the way how we uh, how we produce the uh, uh, this uh, alcohol, let's say this is uh, this is actually alcohol. Uh, so uh, uh, of course the, the 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 main the main advantages it's uh, that uh, uh, this is the liquid at the uh, the room uh, temperature, so we don't need to. Uh, uh, apply any additional uh, uh, pressure equipment uh, to, to handle uh, and to transfer or to carry uh, the methanol. Uh, the, uh, the other advantage is uh, that uh, we can now use nowadays infrastructure, uh, which is used for the, let's say, uh, the, the common uh, fossil fuels. Uh, so even the uh, um, even even uh, the bunkering station or uh, 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 the civil um, uh, civil infrastructure used for the uh, for the for the common uh, common uh, fuel can be can be replaced easily just after the cleaning to 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 uh, to handle the uh, the methanol uh, definitely uh, the big advantages is. Uh, 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 the methanol is dissolved uh, in the water and, and uh, easy uh, bio, uh, biodegrade uh, by that way. So um, this is as well a big, uh, a big advantage. Uh, the next one, um, if we are talking about the infrastructure, this is the, the, the globally available uh, fuel or energy carrier. And uh, uh, what I have... Um, uh, found in my research, it's available uh, at over 88 uh, location in the world, which gives uh, more than uh, 100 ports when, where you can bunker the uh, methanol nowadays without any additional effort. So uh, uh, some of these uh, points really uh, uh, place this, uh, this fuel as a very... Uh, uh, compatible uh, for, 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 for the others. Uh, so, uh, uh, honestly speaking, I was so far uh, quite uh, uh, disappointed uh, knowing uh, only about um, the Stena and, and the waterfront uh, uh, shipping, uh, which implement uh, methanol in their strategy. So, when I read about the MERSC, uh, uh, as I said, it might be a kind of uh, game-changing uh, uh, point and what is also important uh, regarding when we are talking about the advantages of the of the methanol, uh, it can be used uh, um, in the uh, internal combustion en uh, engines, uh, so-called dual fuels, and they are already uh, available on the market. Varzilla uh, uh, engines, uh, four strokes. Uh, that's the one which are installed on this uh, Stena Germanica. 
and uh, what uh, uh, what we could uh, see as well the um, the German MAN uh, uh, dual fuel engines. Uh, that's the one which are used uh, by the by the waterfront. So uh, there is already engines. There is ready infrastructures. This is uh, uh, easy biodegrade um, uh, fuel. And it's uh, very available. So um, there is a lot of um, positive uh, marks uh, which uh, uh, place this uh, this uh, this fuel uh, um, as one of the, the the future one. But of course, that there is uh, some uh, disadvantage. Yeah, there must be because otherwise, I, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. My question mark: Why it's not in use yet? Is is growing? You know, it's uh, it's like uh, everything what you've mentioned so far is like really uh, ticking all the boxes, right? It's like the existing technology, existing supply of the uh, of the fuel, and so so why there was LNG, <laughs> let's say, developed in at first and actually much higher adopted uh, so far within the other carriers like Apple Alloys, CMA. So there, there must be some disadvantages, I guess. So what are they? Yeah, there is. Uh, of course, there is. Uh, first of all, this is a toxic uh, fuel. Uh, and uh, so additional safety procedure is necessary um, you know, when you are carrying, uh, carrying the uh, methanol-based uh, um, uh, propulsion. Uh, then, uh, um, which is... Um, really big, um, let's say, safety feature. Um, the methanol burn with invisible flame. Uh, so uh, it's uh, much longer, uh, it takes much, uh, uh, much, much more time to, to um, identify uh, any, any fires with the uh, methanol. And uh, one of the most, uh, I believe, uh, disadvantage, disadvantages so far, this is the energy density. So uh, uh, this is uh, half of the, let's say, uh, current uh, fossil, uh, um, fossil fuel based. So uh, we need at least two times more uh, methanol than, let's say, the regular uh, MGO on board the vessel. So uh, as you can see, that takes... Uh, Mm, uh, uh, far more uh, s uh, volumetric uh, space from the from the from the vessel itself. So, uh, How does it compare to uh, the LNG? Of course, we uh, with the LNG it's a little bit um, uh, different because the LNG is uh, liquefied and pressurized. So uh, we have um, a chance to to let's say. Uh, um, with the LNG, we could minimize uh, uh, the energy density by uh, by uh, by uh, 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 pressuring this uh, this gas. So, uh, uh, of course, there is uh, that is necessary the uh, specific tanks, and there is necessity to uh, to have uh, uh, pressure and cryogenic actually. Uh, um, uh, infrastructures on uh, on board the vessel, but uh, uh, combining with uh, the, the final uh, volumetric space needed is a little bit less. Mm. And the other thing is that there is a high available so far, and um, the LNG, uh, let's say, uh, uh, history is uh, at uh, this point more than ten years on the market. So, uh, what we could observe. Uh, 
30 uh, percent of the uh, new building uh, order book is nowadays the the, the uh, plan for the LNG uh, propulsion. Yeah, yeah, it's it's. But uh, there is some uh, some 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 examples like uh, mentioned uh, before, waterfront shipping, which is. Uh, clearly uh, place their uh, strategy uh, based on the methanol. And one more thing, uh, which I have not yet uh, have chance to mention, uh, uh, the methanol, of course, uh, reduce uh, the emission of the uh, uh, sulfur uh, oxide and the uh, uh, noxious uh, uh, and, uh, and the P, uh, PMI, but uh, it still have uh, some uh, CO2 emission after, after, uh, after burning. So uh, it's not a fully clean, uh, uh, let's say, uh, fuel, so that will be necessary to, to uh, capture the, the, the uh, uh, dioxide carbon after um, after 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 um, burning in the in the engines, uh, so it might be as well uh, one of the uh, let's say uh, the future uh, proof uh, disadvantage on the, on of this fuel. But but the, the good thing is, can use it others, again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. But you know, it costs uh, that is additional infrastructure. Um, so far, the carbon capture and storage uh, um, installation uh, onshore and uh, offshore, and uh, as well on board the ships, is uh, is uh, let's say uh, in a very uh, uh, first stages. So it's not ready yet. Mm -hmm. So um, of course there is a plans. So everything is, is is ready to set up, uh, but. Uh, uh, but it's not exist physically yet. And that same uh, about the, um, let's say, uh, production facilities from the e-methanol. Uh, there is two, at least I've heard about two big um, investment uh, uh, project which will be uh, fully operate uh, the soonest in uh, 2023. Yeah, the, the, so the e-methanol is not yet on the market. There is only, let's say, regular methanol uh, produced from the, based on the on the on the LNG uh, uh, hydrogen uh, deliveries. Yeah, I, I think that from from the from the container shipping perspective, probably most of the our listeners are connecting those two dots together because it's been Maersk Line who's. Uh, uh, came out with the news uh, about ordering the e-methanol vessels at the same time uh, I think after one or two months they've uh, also mentioned that they're investing uh, into production uh, of the e-methanol so they're like really su supplying the, the, the fuel for their vessels that are taking on their heads as well I think I, 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 it was my guess that is it is connected to this lack of uh, of uh, of the e-methanol on the market and they would like to make it uh, sustainable for them yeah that's that's correct uh, what we could read in the in the in the in the in the newsletters um, uh, they uh, joined forces with the uh, reintegrate uh, and the european energy uh, um, uh, based in the in in, in the Denmark, uh, and what they have uh, at least announced, uh, the Maersk plan to to have the facilities ready uh, in 2023 to deliver uh, more than uh, 10,000 tons of carbon neutral e-methanol, and from the other side uh, we have. Uh, 
company called Liquid Wind, uh, uh, and they actually uh, plan to uh, uh, have the e-methanol production facility operable as well in 2023, and they claim at least the uh, uh, capacity of the production up to 45,000 tons of uh, e-methanol. So uh, uh, we will see in two years uh, where we are. And and, and as I said, the the, uh, Maersk move might be a kind of the game changer. Uh, However, uh, uh, what we can observe nowadays most, well, let's say, one third of the of the order book uh, of the new builds uh, uh, is rather looking for the LNG as a very matured, uh, technologically matured uh, uh, fuel and uh, can be easily blended by the uh, bio LNG. So uh, it's the same future proof, let's say, uh, perspective. So. Um, it's the question to the owners uh, which path they uh, would like to follow because there is some other alternatives on the markets like uh, uh, hydrogen itself or ammonia or some uh, um, electric propulsion. It depends on the on the on the on the um, area of operation and uh, LNG and methanol definitely they are two uh, fuels which might be considered as a deep sea. Uh, deep sea shipping. Uh, so this is definitely a uh, big advantage uh, when you compare, for example, with the uh, battery propelled uh, ferries, which rather operate locally. Yeah, we, we've just seen it uh, deployed, been deployed in Norway, those b- battery based uh, hybrid uh, ferries. And it's uh, it also raised our interest that maybe what, what needs to happen within the batteries, which are, of course, you know, advancing year after year so but uh, how advanced those need to be to operate this kind of a deep sea vessels to uh, to really go from i don't know india to at least mediterranean on the single uh, charge and, uh, and 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 the infrastructure in port is is also uh, getting more advanced right it's, it's it's just a matter of probably a year or maybe two that it's uh, all the vessels will need to be connected to the to the piers and and be in electricity powered during the, the loading and unloading so it could be actually also charged for for the next voyage uh, yes that's uh, that's exactly and I'm just wondering if you'd like to really like to open this uh, box uh, <laughs> of uh, the other alternatives because I, I believe it's uh, so wide topic that we could handle the additional uh, um, we can do it on a separate uh, episode. That's that's a good introduction. Yeah, a separate that. episode. But uh, you touch actually the the, the, the most uh, critical point. Uh, the batteries has to be uh, uh, recharged, and um, capacity of the batteries is limited. So um, that's the reason why, and uh, we uh, do not observe yet a big. Uh, uh, let's say um, revolution uh, on the battery sector. So uh, um, we of course have this uh, light on uh, uh, or uh, gel um, batteries based, uh, but still uh, the, the the capacity is limited. Uh, so uh, so that's the reason why uh, why the uh, 
range of uh, operation is uh, limited uh, for the for the battery um, based propulsion the pure electric so uh, uh, that's the that's the main reason and uh, uh, from the other side you you, you cannot uh, the batteries is quite heavy uh, equipment so uh, you cannot um, install unlimited number on uh, of batteries on board the vessel because uh, uh, if you combine with the displacement, uh, you will end up with uh, uh, senseless of, of the vessel operation. So, uh, so there is a couple of uh, factors which has to be considered in that case. Uh, and uh, so far, yes, we could observe uh, 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 quite significant uh, number of installation, uh, even combined with the fuel cells. Uh, uh, but still, um, there is a matter of the uh, the, 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 the available uh, the av availability for quick charging and the capacity of the batteries. Because the, there is two factors: the 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 uh, time of uh, charging is is one of them. Uh, if you uh, charge fast, then the battery's uh, life cycle is uh, shortened. And uh, from the other side, if you uh, want to charge correctly with correct timing then uh, it uh, stopped the vessel from operation for a longer period and as uh, you are as, uh, as a specialist from the freight uh, market uh, you can understand that the time uh, in ports is uh, one of the most critical uh, yeah time is critical there for, the, uh, for the for the shipping <laughs> time is critical right uh, Adam, thanks for today's conversation. Uh, I believe that you brought, uh, you know, a lot of explanation about the e-methanol and how it works and what are the pros and cons of that uh, technology. And uh, and thanks for that. And uh, maybe on the other episode, we will bring some more uh, angles on uh, other fuels. I, I, I guess that in your region, in the Nordics, in Europe, uh, is going to be probably one of the first regions uh, all over the world to deploy new technologies, as we already see uh, within the electricity powered uh, ferries in Norway uh, so yeah I'm super curious about what what future will bring but today yeah we, we see a good sign of, of really going into this decarbonization initiatives by most of the of the shipping liners and it's definitely something really worth it for all of us uh, to, 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 to see it and, and to, to support those initiatives as well yeah, it was my pleasure, and, and one more time, uh, thank you for the invitation, and I'm open as well uh, for an uh, extension of this uh, first episode uh, we record together, uh, so uh, um, please uh, keep in touch, uh, please observe uh, uh, what I publish on the LinkedIn and, and what is happening on the, on the let's say, uh, uh, online and offline uh, events uh, so um, we are all all of us are actually uh, uh, learning a lot nowadays uh, look uh, for uh, for the perspective and the most accurate uh, solution so uh, there is a number of uh, of the way uh, we can uh, we can follow uh, but it's good to to, to understand uh, what what are uh, actually the pros and cons as you mentioned and uh, uh, which one uh, would be the, 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 the best. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to share some comments and suggestions, just uh, ping me on social media or send me an email at sep at eta.fm. Uh, you can join me on the show, you can share the news that you are having in your hands, you can just uh, add some commentary 
I want the ETFM to be a place that all of us can just uh, share and learn. So don't hesitate on that. And uh, thanks for listening. Have a great week. Best regards. Sebastian Verbo.